you can almost you can almost think of of political ideology as a prism through which authoritarianism manifests. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome back to Mind Matters, everyone. I'm Harrison Cayley. Uh, I've got Adam Daniels joining me today. Hello. And special guest, we have Tom Costello. Tom is a PhD candidate at Emory University. His website is thcostello.com, and we'll include that in the show description. We've got Tom on to discuss one paper in particular, but also the the general themes of his work, authoritarianism. This paper is, uh, he's co-author on this paper with several others. It's called Clarifying the Structure and Nature of Left-Wing Authoritarianism. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So first, I just want to welcome you to the show, Tom, and ask you if, if there's anything you want to just say off the bat. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, so that, that paper and, and authoritarianism in general as, as like an area of study, I think, um, are very interesting because not, not only of like how, how relevant they are to, to today's politics, um, but because it's something that has, uh, it's, it's authoritarianism is very multifaceted and complex and Mm -hmm. Because of that, the way that it looks on the left and right may, may, may tell us a lot about the nature of the construct in general. Um, and so one thing, one reason I think that the left-wing authoritarianism paper is important is because, because no one's really looked at it very closely before, is yeah. this like really fruitful area that, that I think can tell us a lot about politics in general, not, not just like left or right or anything. Like yeah, in, in the paper, I think you, you guys mentioned that, um, I'll probably have the numbers wrong, but you did a, like a Google Scholar search and found that there's something like, uh, well, I've got it here, 12,700 results for right-wing author- authoritarianism. And at the time that you did this search prior to, to writing this paper, there were 635 results for left-wing yeah. authoritarianism. Yeah. The discount, the difference is, is not, will not have changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, I, I mean, that's pretty stark. It's something that is surprising I, I, to people outside of psychology, because obviously there have been authoritarian regimes with like, not, at least nominally left-wing politics, mm-hmm. uh, economic, certainly, and like to a lesser extent, socially on the left too. So the fact that, that psychological science had, has sort of claimed to have identified authoritarianism as like this underlying psychological disposition that then doesn't extend to people with left-wing beliefs is sort of yeah. implausible, at least. In, yeah, and yeah. and you point out, um, you give a bit of history in the the first part of the paper on the the history of the study of the of the the concept and the the construct of authoritarianism, um, going back to the '30s with the the psychoanalysts and like Frankfurt School guys like uh, Theodore yeah. Adorno and the F scale, which I always I, I think that was the <laughs> such a funny such a funny name, especially yeah. given uh, the you know current language. But um, but how that was their authoritarian personality. That was the book they published right in 1950. Yes, and since then we've had like RWA's right-wing authoritarianism that was uh, brought in by Bob Altemeyer up at uh, University of Manitoba, I think. Um, And you quote some stuff from, from his writings where he's basically saying, Oh yeah, well, you know, maybe we we would have written about left-wing authoritarianism, but it just doesn't really exist. Right. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So 
Go ahead. No, so the, so there's not only uh, like there's not only a tendency not to look at it, but a tendency to deny that there's anything to look at in the first place. It's like, oh, there there used to be some left wing authoritarianisms, but they're just not around anymore. Well, I I mean maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe when Altemeyer was writing that, there was like a lull in like extremist leftist activity. I don't know, but uh, and. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Altamire was a really was a brilliant guy, as was I Adorno. But but I, I think that the arc of this this research literature and the reason no one's really studied the left is is very telling about how important the decisions that scientists make are, like in in terms of what they choose to study, are in in creating uh, bodies of knowledge. Um, so just to like give you a little context, right? Adorno, it, the F scale has these nine different components and they're really pretty like heterogeneous and different. They include things like, uh, in addition to like submission to authority and, uh, you know, aggression towards outsiders, they include things like uh, fear of like sex and like conspiracy theories and like thinking in certain ways, you know, lots, lots of very different things that aren't mm -hmm. necessarily correlated with each other in most people. Um, and so to be able to put a total score on that is very difficult because these things aren't related to each other. So you can't just add up the items, but that's what people did. And so the F scale doesn't work because of that. Um, and what Altemeyer did was he looked at that and he said, okay, well, we need to fix this. Um, and he chopped off the parts of Adorno's conceptualization that weren't correlated with each other. And it, it, it was a much narrower conceptualization after that. And, and he, in doing that, tried to like resolve because there had been this ongoing debate about the extent to which authoritarianism existed in the left and right and in doing that ultimately i said okay well so we're going to make this something that is indicative of, of conservatives kind of make them interchangeable um and and so defined authoritarianism as right-wing authoritarianism mm -hmm. in many respects and then from there the, the 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 measure really took off and people started using it and and there are all these studies about here's what's correlated with right-wing authoritarianism. Here's where if you manipulate this, you get that with right-wing authoritarianism because the measure is there and the conceptualization, conceptualization suggests that it's on the right. Um, whereas you could have just as easily chopped off different components called that left-wing authoritarianism and the opposite thing would have happened maybe. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe not, but, but I think a lot of this like dearth this of, of work on left-wing authoritarianism is just because of what researchers wanted to study at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. yeah. And I guess, uh, this is just, I'm totally guessing here that I've heard various, uh, various off the cuff estimates that most, um, most scholars in these areas tend to be liberals or more on the left you know, side of the spectrum. So it would be natural that if they're, if they're thinking about authoritarianism, something bad, you know, Nazis who's, who supports Nazis, probably that's going to influence how they set up their scale to begin with. Yeah. And, and you'd hope, you'd hope that, that scientists wouldn't do that. Um, but scientists are human beings. And one of yeah. the things that psychology has told us is that we're often very sort of irrational and biased in how we think things approach things, even when we don't think we're being irrational and biased. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, the estimates are like something like well over nine and 10 uh, psychologists have left-wing beliefs and 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 a far greater proportion of that 
of of the normal population had uh, like it's not it's not just like oh I'm a centrist liberal liberal it's like pretty far left beliefs so it makes sense that this thing has happened with authoritarian mm. the study of authoritarianism mm-hmm. that being said I don't it's been very fruitful like there's been lots of really important discoveries made using the right wing authoritarianism measures so it's not like the end of the world but I do think it it is a pretty big blind spot. Yeah. like the lack of left-wing authoritarianism. And so that's one thing I was trying to do with the paper was like, correct, correct the blind spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that leads me to ask this, given, given that um, something like nine out of 10 plus people in the field tend to have like leftist and um, a leftist orientation. Um, how did you fit into that? Like, um, and, and what has the response been? So like, do you, do you get dirty looks when you're walking down the halls at, at, you know, at the school, or I guess it's zoom meetings nowadays, but, but yeah. uh, how do you, how do you situate yourself in that climate? Well, so we'll see now. I mean, now that the paper is out, uh, that, that, that maybe I'll get some dirty looks at conferences, <laughs> you know, going forward. I know that, that, uh, though, but for, for the most part, people have been very uh, thoughtful and, and open. In, in, cool. in thinking about the paper, you know, I think it's something that for the psychological scientists at least makes sense and, mm-hmm. and has been kind of like, a, oh yeah, why, why has no one done this yet sort of, sort of response. Mm-hmm. Um, for the broader public though, I've definitely gotten some like, you oh, yeah. shouldn't have done this study. Mm-hmm. It's going to be used by racists to like justify their beliefs, you know, this, this, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I've definitely gotten some, <laughs> some negative responses. I find that when I when I explain the work, people understand. But if mm-hmm. if just like seeing it on its face, that that's when folks tend to get angry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I guess uh, it's 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 kind of a reflection of the polarization going on too. Because when you you could switch that around too, and it, with the with right wing authoritarianism. So when you see yes. um, when you see some claims about right wing authoritarianism, you'll get conservatives who will say, "Oh, well, you know, you're just." Uh, you know, lumping us all in as, as right-wing authoritarian, as authoritarians. And actually that might be what, to a large degree, what the scale actually does. But just seeing that it's like right-wing authoritarianism, authoritarianism is right-wing. And when you see left-wing authoritarianism, it's like, oh, well, well, you're saying that because I'm left-wing, I'm also authoritarianism. But, but really, like you said, when you actually get into it, that no, there's authoritarianism, like as a subset of liberals and a subset of conservatives and they happen to have a lot in common with each other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and that was the question we were setting out to answer was like, obviously this exists because we've seen it in the real world. So it's sort of a, a moot point to ask if it exists. Now, now the opponents of left-wing authoritarianism might say like, yes, it exists in practice, but that doesn't mean that people on the left are psychologically disposed to authoritarianism. Yeah. It's like, in those contexts, communism was the the tradition, the status quo. So the authoritarians were just adhering to the system that they knew. Like so, like you might say that like Stalinists were right wing authoritarians by that definition. Now I think that argument has some problems, um, but but there are people who would argue that left wing authoritarianism as a psychological phenomenon doesn't exist, even though we've seen left wing regimes that are authoritarian. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I wanted to get, or did you have something else to fi- no, no, say about that? Because that's one of the things I wanted to get in, um, into on this 
program because well the paper is like you you can read it online i believe i believe it's on like uh, what is it sci archive or something like that yeah. right like so a preprint site uh, for now a, a preprint posted um on sci archive the uh typeset you know published version should be online soon okay. um so, and and uh that will be behind a paywall so so the way that yeah. you'll probably get it is the sci archive okay version. So for, for any listeners or viewers that, that check it out, it's a long paper, 44 pages in the, 47 pages in the, in the preprint. And it's quite, a, quite an elaborate study. It's a, it includes a series of, of studies that you did, basically like six iterations kind of and analyzing different things and refining as you go. So, so it goes through all of them. And, and there's, so there's a lot of just interesting tidbits at each stage of the, at each phase of the, of the, experiment of the paper and but then some of of course some of the most interesting things for like a layman like me um are in the introduction and the and the conclusion even though there's a lot of good stuff in the middle and one of the la one of the final things that you talk about is this question of what is this exactly well i want to get um a bit later on i want to get into some specifics about left wing and right wing what the similarities are and what the differences are but um, maybe first, I want to talk about this, where you're asking the question, what is authoritarianism really? Like, is there an underlying authoritarianism that just can, can show up as left wing or right wing, depending on some other variable that will determine like the, the specific ideology of like any given individual or any given authoritarian individual? Or are they actually, is there actually a difference between left wing authoritarianism and right wing authoritarianism? And you basically, you, you know, you, you can't mesh them together. There's something fundamentally different about them. And this is an open question at this point, right? Do, Absolutely. Maybe, can yeah. you get into that a bit? And maybe, sure. where do you lean? In, well, yeah, do you have in, like your, a, in your paper, you actually bring all of these different uh, variables up and, and say that, you know, well, we don't really know if it is this and we don't really know if it is that. So um, when I read that, I was like, oh, man, I, I'd never even thought about mm. that, that conceptualization as being possibly true, that there is that maybe there's this authoritarian uh, seed or kernel that has its own manifestations in one or the other, or these are two possibly totally distinct phenomena. So yeah, like that's a, that was one thing that I was wanting to ask as well was, you know, where do you lean? You know, you can't say definitively, or at least that's what you said in your paper, but you have have, yeah, what's your hunch? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so, right. So the, the, <laughs> the, the headline is that we don't know, but the, my hunch is that there's probably a shared psychological core. Mm -hmm. um, that is then socialized in different ways towards the left or the right. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of see authoritarianism as uh, you can almost you can almost think of of political ideology as a prism through which authoritarianism manifests. Mm -hmm. So so like it's going to color the way that le like left versus right wing authoritarians act, um, but the basic disposition, the authoritarianism, is the same. That is what I think is going on, but I don't have enough data to, to say mm -hmm. that with, with confidence. Um, I, it's also possible that it's a situation almost like, I think I, I use this term in the paper, convergent evolution, where like, you know, so you get uh, mammals that swim and have fins that look very much like the, the, the fins of fish. And these are things that evolved via separate branches. But 
ended up looking very, very similar and doing similar things. And so it could be like that psychologically something similar has occurred to that where uh, right-wing authoritarians, left-wing authoritarians are both authoritarian, but they're, they're, they've followed different paths to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because in that, in that section, you talk about, um, well, you simplify it to the, to the point of, uh, well, to a very, a very simple formulation that left-wing authoritarians um, oppose the, the system in power and right-wing authoritarians support the, the system in power. So, and that perhaps they do so for different reasons. And you give the example of communism and fascism and how uh, with communism, there are explicitly humanitarian goals and, and objectives. And, and even you could, you could say anti, anti, it's almost like institutionalized anti-authoritarianism. When you look at communist ideology, there's a yeah. very anti-authoritarian streak to it. I mean, that's what Marx was all about. And then, but when you look at fascism, it's like explicitly authoritarianism or, yeah. or explicitly authoritarian. So you have what could be these two different motivations. But on the other hand, you also have this overlap, like you're saying. I'm wondering if it's if it's a bit of if it's a bit of both. So kind of like a, a Venn diagram where there is this overlap, but, but on the, on the outer edges, there's something that something yeah. else going on. Um, because I think that's likely, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great way to think about it. Um, totally. You know, so there, there's this great, there's this quote from Stalin where he's like, uh, we need to over, I think it was, you know, it was pre the revolution and everything. He's like, we need to overthrow the government and then, but in order to, to have a great, you know, regime in order in consistent with, with Marxist principles, we need to be authoritarians and we need to, to tamp down dissent after we've, we've uh, risen mm -hmm. to power. I forget exactly what it is. I, I'd have to, to double check. But it, I mean, that sentiment is very complicated, actually. Like, that's a complex idea in a way that, like, might, will is, will to power, like, might is right, sort of far right fascist type things don't incorporate necessarily. Yeah. And complex thinking has has long been thought to be like a key component of authoritarianism, um, at least right wing authoritarianism. And we did find that both left and right wing authoritarians were more dogmatic and rigid and less complex thinkers than other people. Mm -hmm. um, but we also found that the effect was stronger for right wing authoritarians. So so that may be that may be one difference. Um, Wh which was like, stronger? Which was stronger for right wing authoritarians? The right -wing authoritarian or the dogmatism? Yeah. Well, so I mean, it's it's a little complicated because. I, I think that the measures that we use to measure dogmatism are sort of have, are, are designed such that there are differences between liberals and conservatives and how mm -hmm. they respond. So mm -hmm. I think this may just be a function of like some bias in the measure, but we found that right-wing authoritarians were more dogmatic and okay. rigid than left-wing authoritarians. Okay. One of the things that one of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about this, um, I was recently reading something and it was just had a, a section on the Hungarian revolution, 1956. And the comment was made that a lot of the people either participating in the, in the revolution against the communist government um, were ex-communists. And so, because one of the, uh, maybe I'll just read it. There's a question that you ask, and I think it was phrased pretty well. So I'm going to see if I can just, read that yeah. if I can find it. Um, yeah, so despite left-wing authoritarians and right-wing or left-wing authoritarianisms and right-wing authoritarianisms, or no, I was right the first time. 
LWAs and RWAs market similarities, it remains to be seen whether left-wing authoritarians who successfully overthrow the establishment tend to turn around and defend the new status quo, thereby mirroring, mirroring the right-wing authoritarians who came before them. Right. So basically the question, and I'd actually, I'd written down in this printout that I have of the paper, I'd written down that question earlier. It's like, so if left-wing authoritarians have their revolution, do they become right-wing authoritarianisms, right-wing authoritarians? And yeah. so I was thinking about this in terms of individuals. Like, so let's say you have a, a left-wing revolutionary whose revolutionary movement gains power do, and they support it. Will they then be classified as a right-wing authoritarian? simply by virtue by virtue of them becoming um, uh yeah. establishment yeah yeah which which yeah. it seems weird right <laughs> yeah so, well i mean hannah arendt the 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 wonderful philosopher um you know has this quote the, the most radical re revolutionary becomes a conservative the day after the revolution mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's true i mean i think that this that that is one thing studying this would yeah be a great way of getting at the question of whether there's a shared core or how much does that Venn diagram overlap? That that would be the thing you do to really answer that question. The problem is how do you predict where there's going to yeah. be a revolution? Yeah. And you know, it's yeah. like you can't. It's incredibly difficult to get those yeah. data. Um, exactly. So I, I I don't know the answer to that question. Um, and and I I wish I did, but I think it's it's a really really interesting one because it, it if the only difference is orientation towards the status quo because of like political preferences mm -hmm. and you you the status quo becomes the politics you prefer and you're an authoritarian then suddenly you're kind of you've shifted from left to right wing authoritarianism yeah. that seems really plausible but if there's something that that's like really important about the psychology of i want to overthrow things versus i want to protect things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um then you wouldn't anticipate that shift Right. Uh, and, and so I, it's a really important question. Yeah. Well, and I've, so that's why, that's why I use the image of this Venn diagram where, you know, there is some overlap, but, but not all of it, because in the example of the Hungarian revolution, you had ex communists that I presume, and again, you know, I can't say for sure, I presume would have supported a, maybe even the, the Russian revolution or even maybe the institution of communism in Hungary, but eight years of communism, Eight years later of communism, they're like, okay, no, you know, I, I can't get behind this. This isn't real communism. Mm -hmm. And you saw that all across um, the, like the USSR and the, and the Eastern European, Eastern Europe, where you have all these ex-communists who, or even current communists who were against the government because they didn't think it was sufficiently or even at all communist in nature. It was, they were using communism as a, you know, as a kind of like a, a mask of sanity or just like a cover. So yes, yes, exactly. So yeah. you've, so you've got this. So that's one category I'd say of people who, who might be well, and, but the question then is, well, were those people even be considered right or, or left-wing authoritarians to begin with? Maybe not. Maybe they were just le left-wing, like, um, yeah. you know, can you be a, maybe some version of a revolutionary leftist that isn't like that revolutionary leftist, you know, the, 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 the yeah. kind that would go out in the streets and, and engage in political violence. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, there's a lot of debate about this. I think, I think people would fairly disagree with me to in saying that left-wing authoritarians are always revolutionary, you know, that, yeah. you know, there, there are people who would argue 
there are currently left-wing authoritarians who don't want to overthrow the government necessarily. So there's there's different perspectives here. Um, but I I think that A, yes, you can have a revolutionary who's not authoritarian. It's kind of by the same token. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I the way to do that would be like within social democratic systems. Yeah. I'm not a, a, a like trained philosopher or historian, so here's where we're getting out of my element, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but in terms of people's personality and their psychology, I certainly think you can have revolutionary politics and not be an authoritarian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so we've got those people out of the way now. Um, but now <laughs> but now we've got someone like you know Vladimir Lenin or uh, or Stalin who were authoritarian leftists. Yeah. Um, they were not only revolutionary, but violently revolutionary. And like to, to, to an extreme degree, as you know, in the, in the quote that you paraphrased, who then came to power and became the established authority. And then, of course, naturally, because they were now in power, supported that power and for, for many years. So, so now you have, so I think you can say that, that without a doubt, there is at least a subset of, left-wing authoritarians that do kind of just by definition of um, supporting the, the, the new status quo do become right-wing in that sense. So right. the, the, the issue for me would be where this is where I'd like to see future research go is, is to tease that out further. You know, like you said, it's difficult, but that, that, that seems to me to be um, at least a, maybe a starting point for finding that, um, that basic, um, basic authoritarianism that's shared between both. And I think also, um, we haven't talked about it yet, but the social don- social dominance orientation, mm-hmm. right? Well, maybe could you talk a bit about SDO or social dominance, how that relates to right-wing authoritarianism, and then, you know, how that was significant for this study on left-wing authoritarianism? Sure. Um, yeah. I, I mean, A, I think all, all of what, much of what you just said, I, I really very much agree with um at, but to to talk chat about sdo social dominance orientation yeah so i i spoke at the beginning of the the the, the our talk about how authoritarianism had sort of changed in its conceptualization over time in psychology so you had adorno and altemeyer and altemeyer narrowed it down by like cutting parts off of adorno's conceptualization um, and one of the parts he cut off was like the aggressive part, um, you know, the the kicking down at people below you and like prejudice and that sort of thing. Um, he he really constrained it just to let submission to established authority and called okay. that right wing authoritarians. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what social dominance orientation is is that aggressive component. Um, so it is. It is the kicking down at, at people, um, and it, it it that didn't come the 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 construct the term social dominance didn't come from Altemeyer. It came from uh, a Harvard psychologist, Jim Sedanius. Um, but but it maps on very well to authoritarian aggression. And Altemeyer later argued that that this was that second component of the authoritarian personality that was missing from RWA. Um, and I I think that's and 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 later. Uh, John Duckett took that even further um, and really tested it and and looked at that in all different ways and found found pretty good evidence that that's the case. Um, and 
So what I did in, in looking at LWA was I didn't just want to focus on the submission component. I didn't just want to focus on right-wing authoritarianism. I wanted to look at both aggression and other aspects of authoritarianism in people with left-wing beliefs. And also, there, I, you know, there, there was no reason at the time, nor is there now, to think that those two components are the only components of left-wing authoritarianism, right? Like there, there could, it's, it, we've only studied it for the most part or predominantly studied it in people on the right. We've only studied right-wing authoritarians. So why should we expect left-wing authoritarians to have the same exact bits? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we didn't wanna limit ourselves by doing that. Um, but what we found really interestingly, I think, was that when you compared the profiles of our LWA construct in terms of their relations with all sorts of different things like personality traits and thinking styles and motivations and beliefs and attitudes like worldviews, that kind of stuff. Um, when you compared that with RWA and SDO, um, you found this really clear pattern of similarities. And actually there were different facets of LWA that mapped onto RWA versus SDO. So there was like one that looked a lot like RWA in terms of how the, what personality traits it was correlated with. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one that looked a lot like SDO in terms of what personality traits it was mm -hmm. correlated with. And that actually really strongly uh, supports this idea that there's almost like a two-pronged, uh, that authoritarianism has this aggression and submission component. Um, the, the difference being that in, in LWA, the aggression is directed at the present hierarchy instead of um, at people who are trying to overthrow the present hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And and same goes for, for right-wing. Mm. Okay. That was a lot of information and constructs and different things, yeah. but that, yeah. That, <laughs> well, because I, I remember back, it must have been in, like back in 2006 or 2007, I read <clears throat> Altemeyer's book that he had on his website, The Authoritarians. And uh, so it's been a long time since I've read it, but uh, so I remember him talking about uh, what he called in the book, I think, social dominators. So how there were like there were these two two related concepts in right wing authoritarianism. There's the authoritarian submission, which is the the followers, and then there's the social dominators. And so, if we come back to like the example of the. The, the Russian revolution or a, a communist revolution like that, you've got, let's say like left with left wing revolutionaries and you've got some of them, maybe not all of them who are like high on that social domin that like they're prototypical social dominators, right? This is where you get a guy like Lenin or Stalin that comes in and they're, they just fit the role. They, they do the job very well because they're, <laughs> that's what kind of what they're designed to do. And, but then you have um, the, like this submission, like the, the 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 authoritarian submission is is more of a follower. It's like it's you're not taking an. Well, maybe you can clear this up for me. When you're looking at authoritarian submission, is it um, if we take like an, an example of an individual, like let's say, maybe we can't because we we need more individuals to capture all of this. But you've got uh, an authoritarian, and they will support a social oh i'm, I'm getting confused and how i'm trying to phrase this basically will a, an, a will a, a submissive authoritarian engage in like social dominance activities like putting down people below them 
or will they just support uh, another person doing that, like the like the social dominator? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah. So it so I see I see the way that Altemeyer wrote about this is a little bit different from the way that that I think about it, and, mm -hmm. and the way that it's it's uh, thought about uh, in like the Ducats model that I mentioned. So um, it turns out that RWA, which is the submission component and social dominance, which is the domination aggression component, are pretty highly correlated in most people, um, about 0.5 or so. Um, and like, so for example, height and sex are correlated 0.4. So 0.5 is a pretty strong correlation. Um, and and uh, that means that in the general population, you get both the submission and the aggression. Yeah. Okay. Um, there, there is probably a different set of traits that go with being that leader, mm -hmm. like dominating authoritarian leader, mm -hmm. but that turns out to be pretty hard to study mm -hmm. uh, because that, that's not as common. And it's also something that uh, is, has maybe like fewer practical implications um, because what, what gives these movements power is, is the, the people who submit. Um, it's it's not the people at the top. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that reminds me of the kind of personality traits. So in several of these, you're you're looking in, in these various um, studies that you're doing of the of the phases of of this uh, this investigation. You're looking at person, a lot of personality traits um, associated with or, or correlated with either LWA or RWA, and then what how they what they share and how they differ. And what I one of the things that stood out for me was uh, let's see, there's a few of them here. So this was when you kind of identified the three factors of LWA: the anti-hierarchical aggression, anti-conventionalism, and the top-down censorship, right? So in in anti hierarchical hierarchical aggression, this seemed to capture the authoritarian dominance that uh, that you see like in in when you're just looking at right wing authoritarianism. So this is that SDO type thing. Yeah. And so I'm just going to read this in the personality domain. Anti hierarchical aggression was marked by low agreeableness, low honesty, humility, and low conscientiousness. Now those are three of the the hexaco you know, traits, the big five plus honesty and humility, more or less. And yeah. what, I, what I found interesting about that is, well, first, not just this, but in the in some of the other parts of this study, you'll find correlations between, let's say, like right wing authoritarianism and like high conscientiousness and low openness or something like that. And that yeah. seems like that's pretty much just a, a standard so uh, a standard correlation that you'd find just in conservatives, right? Because as, yeah, as far as I know, like conservatives are conscientious, not necessarily very open. Liberals are open and maybe not as conscientious and more, maybe more agreeable. I can't remember how strong all, the, all those correlations. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when you're, so when you're looking at, uh, at left-wing authoritarianism, you've got this low agreeableness, low honesty, humility, and low conscientiousness, which are also a pretty good description of like the psychopathic personality, at least the, the personality traits of the psychopathic personality, because, um, yeah, sure. as far, yeah. Or did, did you want to have a comment on that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I, uh, 
have am interested in psychopathy. I, I uh, have published a little bit on it. My PhD advisor, uh, who unfortunately passed away last year, Scott Lillianfeld, um, was in one of the world's experts on psychopathy. Yeah, um, I had a chance to meet him once, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is a one of the, <laughs> perhaps the most brilliant person I've ever met. He is mm. a really incredible mind. Um, and uh, well, in any case, so yeah, I, I, psychopathy and was something that you, you did you do see left wing authoritarians look similar to to highly psychopathic people. Um, you know, with some caveats, like it's not exactly clear that like the the mask part of the mask of sanity is there. You know, mm-hmm. like the the boldness uh, or fearless dominance is sometimes called the kind of uh, social persuasiveness and 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 uh, yeah. uh, bravery and that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of like antagonist low uh, low agreeableness or antagonism and like even impulsivity, disinhibition, you did see that with with authoritarian. Yeah. And you also see that with with high SDO people. So yeah. so high SDO goes with low agreeableness, low honesty, humility. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there, there there were some some similarities there. I, I think your point though that the, these personality profiles are also kind of confounded with the, those found typically in liberals or conservatives is, yeah. is a really a really good one though. I mean that's a big problem with the RWA scale that it is in no small part a measure of social conservatism. Yeah. So it's hard to disentangle if we're studying like what are the personality traits of authoritarians. It's hard to <laughs> disentangle that social conservatism and authoritarian, and we end up not knowing what the personality traits are. Um, so that's why LWA is important because we need yeah. to be able to say, oh, here are the commonalities across them. This is what we really need to drill down into to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, so one of the things that you find is, are the differences between the RWAs and the LWAs. So can you talk a bit about the, the distinct features of the LWAs? I think one of them is, is like the, the emotionality. So you don't find a lot of neuroticism in SDO and RWA, but you actually find neuroticism in the LWA, which again, okay. seems, a seems, uh, like it also could be confounded with a, like the, the sure. left-wing personality. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so and we, right, so we found that LWA was associated with neuroticism or negative emotionality. I, I think, and RWA was not, or to a lesser extent. I, I think that one reason that that's important is because it's long been theorized that authoritarianism is a reaction to threat, um, mm-hmm. and and that people who are highly high on like trait fearfulness um, are tend to be conservative and authoritarian because they they're trying to cl- ensure that the world around them is orderly and secure and everything is predictable and safe um, and so authoritarian systems of government and philosophies are one way of doing that um, the problem is that though that neuroticism is in no small part about anxiety and fearfulness about like the world around you and uncertainty um, and it doesn't make sense that it wouldn't be correlated with authoritarianism um, unless we're seeing this confound with ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that was a particularly important finding. And we did find that LWA predicted neuroticism over and above political ideology, controlling for ideology. Um, so yeah, that, that's one interesting avenue. There's more work to be done there because mm-hmm. again, I'm not sure the extent to which uh, we can draw conclusions without having like a, a good measure of like general authoritarianism. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I was I was looking for something. Do you have something to ask Adam before I find my next question? Um, well, okay. So just going off on that for a second, then, um, you know, as you were kind of kind of explaining that, uh, I guess it it seems to me from from my understanding of of kind of like the the population at large uh, that you have people who are higher in trait neuroticism and so and such. Uh, that they do lean more to the liberal side of things. Um, so that kind of makes sense. But then social conservatives or people who lean towards that side of the political spectrum seem to be lower in trait neuroticism. And if there is this uh, theory or idea that uh, authoritarianism, is, authoritarianism is a reaction to fearfulness, that, that doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, in that kind of a way, because this is these are people who aren't highly neurotic people. They're they're not desperate desperately clinging in that kind of a way. So it seems to me that there is that there's something else going on. It's not it's not a fear thing, but it it is. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What, what is it, Tom? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> no, that's a great point. I, I, well, I think where that I think at least where that's coming from is conflating social conservatism with authoritarianism. Uh, yeah. Not you, but the measure mm -hmm. um, and, and people's conceptualization. I mean, I think those are very distinct things, um, even if they're correlated uh, organically, which may be the case, um, they're, they're distinct. And so wanting the, the having like the, the low neuroticism and that sort of thing, low fearfulness that may go with social conservatism, although I'm not saying that it does. Um, but I think authoritarianism is just a different thing. And the reason we're finding these mm -hmm. sort of like almost paradoxical uh, patterns is because we're not cleanly separating those out as, yeah. as scientists just said. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and there was, um, there was another point along that line um, that just as far as you know trying to because like after reading your paper uh and i think i said this earlier uh i had to reevaluate what it is that i was actually talking about or thinking about or maybe i was just talking about it to you harrison before we started this conversation uh i had to rethink what what it was that i was looking at what it is that we're trying to talk about what is it that we're trying to describe because you know like you were saying so much of what we know as uh authoritarianism is defined by right-wing authoritarian yeah. right-wing authoritarianism because that was essentially what they were trying to do they were trying to i mean like you said in your paper they yeah. were trying to figure out why uh why people were supporting hitler and how he was able to come to to power uh, and so they were looking at a very specific thing but that's not what i think you are trying to look at and understand and i don't think that's what uh we are trying to understand either and that is what lies uh, beneath it. And I think you kind of got into that and at, uh, a couple of points where you, like you said, like you said in your paper, were were pointing out like the, the factors that, you know, both of these groups have these specific personality traits. And I think that's more along the lines of like, uh, where, uh, where the essence of what we, at what, yeah. what at this point we're calling authoritarianism, but isn't necessarily like authoritarianism if that makes sense <laughs> it no it makes total sense uh i think i think that's exactly right actually yeah it's 
what we we think of when we say authoritarianism is not necessarily what it is um and and that that's the the big question is what is it um yeah exactly um, and <laughs> and if it's not this like this sort of right-wing social conservative mixed with like aggressions picture um what is it i think it is a combination of of personality traits probably mm -hmm. um i you know there's elements of socialization in there too um i think it it uh what's interesting though is that it seems to interact with politics you can't be an authoritarian without having like an avenue for that authoritarianism mm -hmm. to manifest into. I suppose mm -hmm. you could like be an authoritarian in your job, you know, or like uh, certainly actually there are probably some authoritarian academics, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, but you need like a venue for it. And, and uh, so that's, I think what makes it different than just personality. Um, it, it, there's no, there's no place for it to be consistent across situations necessarily as personality traits are, because, because there's really only one or two situations that people care about enough for them to be authoritarians in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, it's a kind of a new area in that way. It, in historically, it started out as a personality. People thought it was personality, then they moved and it's social, it's motives, it's this, that. I, and I, I, I suspect it's personality. Uh, I'm open to other opinions, mm. but yeah, the question is, what is it and how can we define it? And that's kind of the next step. That's what I'm doing now is, yeah. is trying to figure out, let's cut out left. What's a, let's define what's unique about left and right. Cause that's important on its mm -hmm. own, I think, as you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but then let's see what's at the center of the Venn diagram, because that's, what's like, if we want to like build an intervention to stop authoritarianism, that's what mm -hmm. we would maybe want to target. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to know what it is. Yeah. Uh, one of the thoughts that came to me was, I was wondering if certain aspects, so I'm not sure which ones can be seen as a kind of, um, there's gotta be a, a psychological, maybe an evolutionary psychological term for it, but basically a hijacked, a, a hijacked adaptive trait. So I, I think about something like, um, uh, sharing and empathy and trust, right? Where you, if you, if you're in a, those, those tendencies and those actions when they're, when they're enacted can be not only personally, but socially beneficial, right? When you, when you, when you engage in a, a trusting behavior and, and sharing and uh, things like that, but yeah. you can have something like a psychopath who will then manipulate that in a, in, in an, an artificial situation where the, the person is then out of the goodness of their heart, supporting something that, or someone that, it, you know, it turns out that it's, it's a total lie, right? That, uh, yeah. that they're just getting swindled. So that I was thinking about that in terms of maybe authoritarian submission, where in any social group, maybe just for, for the, like for the, for the good of the social group, if the system is relatively decent and is working, then it, it's just, it just seems natural to me that, that a lot of people or a subset of the population will just like almost automatically uh, enforce it or um, yeah. or submit to it. It's like it, because it works, right? So yeah. in a in a healthy society, you wouldn't see anything wrong with that. It would just be like, 
it would it would just be conservatism, right? Well, this works. Let's keep it. It's like I'm not bashing anyone over the head, but uh, I'm just kind of you know it, yeah. it works and it works for a reason. If we want to change things. Let's do it incrementally and like make right. sure we're not messing things up. Oh, right, and yeah. So so you've got these normal, um, normal and pr- probably healthy given the right conditions traits or behaviors or attitudes. And it's, it's when something else gets mixed into it, that, that it takes this kind of like, you know, dark personality thing to it. And and that's why, like where I lean is, is the dark personality angle. And I don't know, like you mentioned dark personality and psychopathy and and a few, you know, a few things in here. I'm not sure if the, if the data yet supports such a strong linkage, but, but the way I actually, the way I see it, which may be wrong is that that's the kind of, um, that's, that's probably getting closer to that underlying thing. I, I think it probably is more of a social dominance thing. It's when you have, when you have the SDO, when you have the, the dark personality enter the equation, then let's say you have corruption in your system, which is, or in your society, which is not healthy, you know, and which is causing problems. Well, then all of a sudden that pathologizes the, the natural submission that you would have to to a good government just to make sure everything works and it kind of legitimizes the the opposition to to that um to that corruption which yeah. i think jonathan Haidt's work on like the moral taste buds would come into play it's like you have someone that's like no that's you know that's not cool yeah. and and but then on in that revolutionary in in the in the revolutionary or in the leftist attitude then you've got your own social dominators who are like, yeah, let's get rid of this system. Let's tear it down because I really want to be in that position. Right. Yeah. Right. This is a chance to, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And uh, the link between, so a, I mean, I I, I find that model very intriguing. I, I think the, the point, the point you make about dark personality traits, psychopathy, psychopathic traits, whatever you want to call them, um, being, a, almost like this hijacking. I, I think that comparison with authoritarianism is really nice because one thing about a lot of personality disorder traits um, is that they are inherently interpersonal. Um, they 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 are something that exists in relation to other people, and 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 so like you can't be a authoritarian on a desert island. Um, you need other people. <laughs> To, to be an authoritarian. That would make a, that would make a good comedy movie, actually. You know? <laughs> You're talking to yourself. No, you will not. You will obey my rules. <laughs> right. And and the 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 trick with with psychopathy is that it, it's a unusual pattern of correlations in the general population. So it's traits that don't always or don't actually typically go together. So normally, if you get someone who's uh, who seems on their face very charming um, and nice and warm, um, or that you're drawn to them. That's someone, the heuristic you have is that, oh yeah, they're good and empathetic and, and nice and, and I, I can trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a heuristic because th- those things are correlated in the general population, but in psychopaths, it's the opposite. Um, so it's not even necessarily something they're doing intentionally. They're not, maybe not even trying to manipulate. It's just that uh, they are not nice and they are impulsive and they will do what they, they want to, they'll, they'll do whatever they can to get what they want. And mm-hmm. so naturally they're going to benefit from that, whether or not they're trying to manipulate you. 
you're just people are going to trust them erroneously. And and yeah. so uh, I think yeah, it's it, whether or not the I think anyway that that sort of interpersonal dynamic um, could very well be playing out with authoritarianism or social dominance orientation mm. in the way that, that you suggest. Um, you know, I, I think it, it could just be that. Yeah, I'm th I'm th thinking through it as I say it. I uh, I guess the the bottom line point is I think that there's a big personality component with authoritarianism, but that it's it's pretty much interpersonal. In in yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. I'd have to think through this more. Because I was just well, as you were talking about it, uh, and this is something that I was thinking about earlier, kind of like how you had said earlier, Tom, that it's kind of hard to 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 separate the authoritarianism from the from the political beliefs like it, uh, it's deeply enmeshed and yeah. the, the way that we have or that we have seen the authoritarian um uh i guess the authoritarianism going too far um in a lot of respects like the the anti or the revolutionary um left-wing authoritarian becoming uh violent uh or a right-wing authoritarian being violent uh whatever it is uh, th that is also kind of deeply tied to uh, this, I guess, enmeshment with a, a psychopathological person who uh, is manipulating uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, I mean, you know, maybe it shouldn't necessarily go there, but I'm, I'm thinking specifically like with the rioting that's been going on for the past year, two years more. Yeah. Like, uh, I just a, a quick comment on that. When you, this is probably, well, well, it's not representative of protesters. I wonder if it's representative of um, violent protesters, because I've seen a lot of like police reports after the fact where one of the violent mm -hmm. protesters is, is arrested and it turns out he's got a, a huge criminal record, um, maybe like sexual assault, uh, violence and sexual assault against children, you know, rape. And, and you see this all, all uh, very often in, in actual protesters who have been arrested and, it's, and it makes it makes me wonder sometimes when i'm looking at the at the police reports well are they out there because they actually have the political belief or for some of them is it just an excuse to to have a little fun right and and destroy some stuff it's like so so maybe maybe yeah. there's also an element of that in there so one yeah one thing one thing that that brings up for me is i the uh, I, I think it, it kind of gets at the uh, interpersonal impact or or taking advantage of kind of kind of point that you made. Mm -hmm. um, so it would make sense that like at you know with any mass gathering, even like if yeah. there's violence there, um, the people who are misbehaving are the ones who, as a pattern, misbehave. So like the ones who are going to be arrested are going to be the ones with criminal records. Yeah. Um, whereas like the people without, um, which which could very well be like the vast majority of the protesters are, are not arrested. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, it doesn't mean that the people who were arrested thought, hey, I can, why don't I just go out and I can take take advantage of it? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but 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 I think I think that like one interesting psychological thing here is just like the possibility that where there is where there are problems in our society like where where there is conflict and trouble and, and this sort of thing whether whether it's police violence or or what you know whatever else um there are people with 
maladaptive personality traits, um, maybe authoritarianism among them, that will be able to influence or like, you know, benefit from those traits in, in yeah. response to the disruption. And, and mm -hmm. so I, I think that broader process, like it, 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 like using it as a, as, a, as a way to characterize the protest, I don't know if that's fair, but I think it is like a really gen generally really yeah. interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it's something that, that perhaps will be always, always a, a component like you said, when you ever, whenever you have a, a mass gathering of people like that, you know, you're, you're going to get that type of personality that's there and they're going to be the ones that get arrested. Right. Yeah. So, but that, that brings up a question for me. Um, so part of this study was trying to predict participation in um, violent protests and, and in, in the, in participation in violence, basically. Yeah, that's right. And so so what you have is, I think I'm going to go off memory here. You, something like 13% of, of, or like nine to 13% of the people you interviewed um, participated in a protest. And I think something like one to 2% of the, of the, of the people said they participated in some kind of like violent protest. Yeah. And then in a different part of that, there were something like 9% of the respondents um expressed a willingness to engage in a violent protest. So I wonder if, I thought those were some interesting numbers. So basically when it came down to, um, to walking the walk, maybe like, and I, I'm probably reading too much cause it's, yeah. it's, it's not representative, small but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. small numbers, but, but the, where, where my mind went with this was, okay, when it comes to walking to walk, maybe you've got one to 2% that will actually engage in some, something violent, but then you've got like nine to 10% that, that say they will. It's like, oh yeah, I, I totally support that. Right. But when it, when it actually comes down to it, they probably won't like they'll, they'll chicken out and they'll realize, ah, you know, uh, this maybe isn't really what I want to be doing. So, yeah. so maybe it's like you, it's kind of like an artifact or, or a, a mirage where you've got these people that say they're going to do it, but the people that actually maybe do engage in the actual violence are the types that we're that we were talking about that are the types that habitually engage in violence, or, right? Right. Well, that's right. That's an interesting thing. Uh, now that you give out the numbers and everything, that totally makes sense to me uh, in terms of the the numbers breakdown. Because I think it was like two two point three percent of the the numbers of the people uh, in the study said that they had participated in violent actions, and then it was ninety one point something percent mm -hmm. said that they would not engage in violent actions if given even if given the uh opportunity i think yeah. was what it was um and so if you have like that that just makes sense that you would have the majority of people being you know relatively normal and saying like yeah no i don't think i would uh and you know 2.3 percent of the population well that's pretty close to the you know uh averages for like psychopathy and and that kind of a thing plus some uh who would actually become violent or would be violent in, in that kind of a way so so those numbers you know i i i wouldn't be surprised if they weren't that far off from uh the general population where you have like nine percent of the people who say they would uh just because right. you know everybody likes to pretend like they're a badass until it yeah. comes to the moment and then right. they're just total chickens politics are part of your identity yeah you want to morally signal um even if it's just to anonymous researchers um, <laughs> But, well, and to, yeah. to themselves too. Yeah. Right. And to yourself. Yeah. Um, but 
the bear so the barrier to actually participating in violence is, is very high and and what that means is that it's only the most extreme like the people really at the far end of of, of this trait spectrum mm-hmm. that are actually going to uh in, uh, you know at a population yeah. level engage in violence and 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 that makes that's actually going to like increase the predictive strength of of say like disinhibition for, for, for these sorts of things if you if, mm. if you analyze it the right way. Um, and and, and uh, you see you see sort of an interesting thing actually like I, I don't know this like I'm, I'm one way to think of it is like psychopathy psychopathic traits are more predictive of like uh, sexual harassment and misconduct in women than they are in men. Um, well why is that? Um, because there are a lot more barriers, like normative barriers for women to like sexually harass than there are for men. So it's only like the really psychopathic women who are doing it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think you maybe see a similar thing with like participation in political violence. It's not, could it, it, I don't know that it's psychopathy, but it, whatever trait it is that, that's influencing it, uh, you could probably have to be pretty high on it. Yeah. Huh. Well, well, how are you doing for time, uh, Tom? Um, uh, I think I do. I got to get going fairly okay. soon. Well, I think... In that case, unless you had any more questions, Adam, I think we can probably wrap it up. No, I think that pretty much yeah. covers the majority of it. Okay. Well, it's been a blast talking to you, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Thanks. I, yeah, we had a we had a we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we like talking about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. but I'll be I'll be on the lookout for when you have new papers come out. Maybe I'll read some of your some of your older ones too, and and see if there's anything in there that I want to sure. talk to you about sometime. But. Uh, is there anything that you have in the works, you know, right now? Like, do you have a next project that you're planning yeah. to work on? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm working on a few different things. One thing I'm, I'm working on is a, uh, a big meta-analysis of um, the relationship between political ideology and thinking style. Um, so uh, meta-analysis, you aggregate all the different studies in the literature. Um, and what we're, what we're finding there, I'll just give you a little preview, is that you get some notable differences between social and economic ideology. Um, so uh, psychologists have argued for a while that conservatives writ large are just more rigid. Um, and that ties into like kind of pathologizing conservatives and like authoritarianism fits into that whole syndrome. Like you're authoritarian, you're prejudiced, you're, you're rigid, you're socially conservative, you're conservative. Um, but what we're finding is this discrepancy between social and economic where that effect does seem to hold true, albeit like with a smaller effect size uh, than had previously been thought. But with economic, it's it's just not there. Um, and and I think that that's kind of that's an interesting thing. Um, we're yeah. So that's that's the biggest project I'm working on. You know, us academics, we always have like a lot of irons in the fire. But yeah. I, won't, I won't bore you with all the terrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks again, Tom. Um, it was great talking to you. And, yeah, likewise. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. I'm, Great, I'm, thanks. Thanks for your interest. Cool. So once again, Tom's website is thcostello.com. In the show description, you can check out his papers. We'll have a we'll have a link to this paper to the preprint version of it as well. So check that out. And everyone take care and thanks again, Tom. Thank okay. you. Thanks, guys.